This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time 1203. Great to have you with us for the Tuesday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Major League Baseball moving into the NFT market. It's a long time coming, but movie theaters made a big splash this weekend. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, the U.S. economic comeback is underway. Joining us to talk about it, Ed Waymer, founder and CEO of Wintrust here in Chicago. Ed, it's good to have you on the show. Uh, what have you been seeing, especially in recent days? Uh, how are you, you feeling? Is the economy on the comeback like we've been hearing? I think it is. Thanks for having me on, Cisco. Always good to be with you. Um, I think it really is. It's um, coming back extremely strong. Um, many, you know, supply chains are still somewhat disrupted uh, because of the Texas issue and because of labor issues. You can't find workers these days. I, a lot of our clients are out, you know, looking for 100, 150 people. But I think that, um, you know, the uh, the economic uh, benefits brought on by the government for some of these people um, outweigh going to work. And um, I think it's this is something that will keep uh, is a little bit of a problem. But that being said, back orders are up, and if they can get the supply chains figured out, you know, with the chips and what have you, it's uh, it, it'll be okay. But you know, just looking at O'Hare, I sit here and look at O'Hare every day. There are more planes taking off now than ever. I think we're everybody's got a lot of money in their pocket and they love to spend. So um, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, it's almost uh, sort of a pent up demand, right? Where you you end up with people who have just for a year they've been itching, whether it's travel or restaurants or, or you know, next segment we're going to talk about movies. Uh, they're just itching to get out there, and now we're seeing that sort of unleashed. Absolutely, there's a lot of pent up demand. Problem is, there's not a lot of supply. Between that and the money supply, I mean, everything's costing a lot more too. But people don't don't seem to care that much because the savings rates, as much as they have gone up, everybody's sitting on a lot of cash and they're looking to buy things. And I think it's it's a good it's a good sign um, for us. But um, that being said, you have to worry about how you're going to pay for all this cash in the long run. If the you know the, with Biden's new budget. Um, Six trillion dollar budget, three trillion of which will be uh, financed. The Federal Reserve is going to have to buy half of that, so they're going to increase their balance sheet yet again. Somehow, there's got to be a give at the end of this, and I don't know how it's going to work or how it's going to happen. But this new uh, this new economic theory has got, in my mind, is is not going to be very good in the long run. Well, inflation, which is what you're talking about. I mean, that's uh, we, we've been concerned about that for a while, and yet. Uh, you have the Fed and others saying, well, it's sort of a necessary evil in order to get the economy back started again. I'm wondering, is there a chance that maybe the Fed doesn't get out early enough and inflation becomes a problem, a significant problem, six, 12 months down the line? Oh, I, I think it will. Um, to me, it feels 
kind of like the 70s all over again. I woke up the other day, and you got trouble in the Middle East. you got oil prices through the roof. Um, you got a government that's spending like crazy. I was going to break up my bell bottoms, my Bee Gees records, you know, from the old days. But it um, feels like the 70s. I don't think you'll get up to 20 or 30% on your interest rates. But something's going to have to give eventually. And um, uh, inflation is here. They, you know, uh, go to the grocery store, go any place. Everything costs more. People are somewhat inelastic, too, because they're sitting a lot more cash. But eventually, you got to pay the piper. And uh, I know if we did what the Fed was doing, borrowing short and lending long, we'd get a cease and desist order as a bank, you know. <laughs> but somehow they're pulling it off. I don't know. Yeah, they, up a little bit. Think, think what the interest rate is going to be. The interest expense will be for the government on this. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They wouldn't let you do it for long, for sure. Uh, thank you. Always good to get your insight and, and analysis. Ed Waymer, founder and CEO of Trust here in Chicago. Just ahead, movie fans returning to theaters in a big way. The COVID crisis is easing. Movie theaters are starting to fill up again after more than a year of mandated shutdowns. They raked in more than $100 million over the Memorial Day weekend. With us now to talk about it, Paul Deergarabedian, senior media analyst for the box office tracking company Com score, uh, Paul. I mean, it's still early. Do we have a general idea of just how good the weekend was? Yeah, this is an incredible weekend. Memorial weekend signified the beginning of the summer movie season, something we just didn't have in 2020. Cisco, to give you an example, so normally a Memorial weekend would earn around 200 million or more. The record year was 2013 with Furious Six leading the box office to. $314.3 million for all the films in the marketplace. So you had $314 million in 2013, $232 million in 2019, and $843,000 in 2020. That was a tremendous drop. But then this year, we're right around $100 million for Friday through Monday. So not back to pre-pandemic levels, but considering where we've been and where we are today and I think where we're going – this is great news for the movie theater industry. Yeah, and you have obviously Hollywood, but just the individual theaters, many of them didn't hang on, but the ones that did are, are hoping that this continues. They've been waiting for this. Oh, yeah, they really have. I mean, it, this was a tough storm to weather for exhibition, for movie theaters, and there's no better way to indicate that this is going to, again, be a thriving industry than the performance of A Quiet Place 2, which earned $57 million dollars. Uh, over the extended holiday and Cruella, which earned about $26.5 million for Friday through Monday. So put a couple of big movies out there. People are vaccinated. They're raring to go. They want to go back to the movie theater. And the result is a fantastic Memorial weekend that portends, I think, a great summer movie season. And then beyond that, going towards the end of the year, you have Top Gun and James Bond on the way. You have Furious 9 on deck. A lot of big movies to come and Conjuring movie uh, this weekend. So I think people are just really wanting to go back to the movie theater. Yeah, has Hollywood been in sort of sitting on some of these blockbusters, just waiting for things to get back to it? I mean, we're going to see a, a good thing. I mean, sort of a, a glut yeah. of really good movies coming out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what, what happened was last year they had to scramble and, and switch all these movies from 2020 to 2021 release dates. So now we've got we're going to have pretty pretty crowded, uh, you know, late summer and into the fall but, you know, I think a movie like In the Heights, the musical, is going to really surprise people, do incredibly well. It's kind of feel-good movie that I think people are waiting for. So I think it's just, uh, again, this weekend, if it's any indication, 
I think we're on a really good track. That road to recovery for theaters is is happening, and we're going to see it ramp up week after week. Any sort of uh, you know potential pitfalls out there for the industry now that we're getting reopened, or is it pretty much smooth sailing? Well, well, I don't, you know, it, it's still a challenging marketplace. Uh, there's only about 72% of theaters open in North America. So that's a challenge. According to our ComScore data, that 72% is just the number of available theaters. Then with, within each theater, there's limited capacity in some uh, localities, but that's going to ease up a bit. We'll have more capacity, more theaters open. Once we get 100% of those theaters open, then we're going to be really putting the pedal to the metal and seeing a return to the numbers we formerly enjoyed at on the big screen and for the movie theater. Thanks so much for all the insight. That's Paul Deergarabedian, senior media analyst for Comscore. That's a box office tracking company. Just ahead, the credit card industry looks to gain a foothold in cryptocurrency. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Cryptocurrency has taken the finance world by storm. Now the credit card industry is getting in on it. Joining us on the McGrath-Lexus business line, Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com, based in New York. Uh, Ted, help us to understand here, how are credit cards getting in on crypto? Yeah, hey, Cisco. I think this is really interesting. It's much more on the reward side than on the spending side right now. There's not really a good way to spend cryptocurrency on a credit card. But if you want to spend U.S. dollars and get cash back in the form of Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency, well, that is starting to catch on. And there's companies like BlockFi and Gemini, for example, that have opened wait lists for credit cards that pay rewards in crypto. Uh, BlockFi is particularly interesting because they give one and a half percent cash back in Bitcoin on all purchases. And they were going to charge a $200 annual fee, which I thought was pretty steep. Last week, though, they scrapped that plan. So I actually think that makes this a lot more intriguing. So we're not, uh, I mean, we're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, pe- the, the, uh, the credit card companies actually dealing in it so much as it's just another way to try to lure in potential customers. Some people want airline miles. Some people like the idea of getting crypto. That's exactly right. And I think the key point here is earning upside from your rewards. And it's also very streamlined. So the hope obviously is that this is worth more in the future. But also when you buy cryptocurrency on your own, there's usually transaction fees. If you're able to get crypto as a rebate from spending, you can avoid those fees. It just feels like house money, basically. So I think for some people, that's part of the appeal. You can also do it with other, I would argue, more mainstream companies like SoFi and PayPal you know, they both let you trade cryptocurrency. They have credit cards that you could potentially redeem rewards in that fashion. I think it's going to be interesting to watch. I think this is really more the model for now. I don't really foresee a lot of directly spending cryptocurrency on credit cards anytime soon. But I think earning rewards, I could definitely see more of that catching on. And when it comes to the value, I mean, this is just sort of an interesting reward because Day in and day out, I mean, crypto is all over the place. So you really never know what your rewards are worth. And that's also another reason why people are not spending crypto on cards right now, because you're right, it's confusing enough for the rewards. But think about for spending. I mean, it may be hard to know at any given moment what kind of deal you're getting. There's also the capital gains implication. I think a lot of people are taking this as more of a long-term wait-and-see kind of approach, 
one other thing that's in it for the company on this topic is it's sticky, right? Like it's hard to move cryptocurrency from one provider, one wallet to another. So that's something you want to think through. If any of this appeals to you, think about a platform that you can hopefully stick with and then ride out any kind of gyrations and you don't have to deal with the confusing logistics and fees of buying and selling. I think a long-term attitude is best. Thanks so much, Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. We'll take a look at what's moving Wall Street as the abbreviated trading week begins. Travel Tuesday, we'll talk about a guide that will help you navigate the rules of vaccinations in Europe as the COVID crisis eases. Major League Baseball swings for the fences with non-fungible tokens. WBBM Business, the Dow up 24. NASDAQ down 16. And the S&P is down five points. Oil is up right about 2%. We have sunshine in Chicagoland right now, 73 degrees, heading up to a high near 80 degrees. Chicago police are tallying the results of their new approach to crime fighting executed during the Memorial Day weekend. Superintendent David Brown. Over the four-day weekend for Memorial Day, there were four murders, which was the lowest in 10 years. At this point in the year, there has been 4,759 Guns recovered by Chicago police officers. One change you might notice today, the department's pulled the stationary units that have been parked in busy downtown areas since the riots last year. They've also discontinued 12-hour shifts. President Biden's issued a proclamation affirming June as LGBTQ Pride Month following in the footsteps of some predecessors. The proclamation says the Biden-Harris administration reaffirms that no one should face discrimination or harassment because of who they are or whom they love and that the president has the back of LGBTQ people across the Nation. President Clinton was the first to issue a Pride Month proclamation, and President Obama did so every year of his presidency. President Trump tweeted his recognition of Pride Month in the third year of his presidency after failing to do so in his first two years. This is the LGBTQ community continues to face a spate of hate crimes. Allison Keyes, CBS News, Washington. It's 1232. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago, Wall Street. Kind of flat today. The Dow up 27. The NASDAQ down 16 and the S&P down 5 points. Let's see what's going on. Jim Welsh is here. Macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. Jim, what do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Cisco, that the S&P will go to a new all-time high very quickly. And uh, I think the uh, the big mega cap stocks potentially will also get a lift in the next couple of weeks as Treasury yields, uh, I think, dip a little bit more before they make an upward macro tides letter. And I'll be happy to send it to any listener who would like to receive it, Jim Welsh Macro at Gmail. I go through in great detail, Cisco, in terms of all the factors that I think are going to push core inflation above 3% and then hold it up there for a period of months. That's way above the Fed's target of 2% and kind of their outside range for this year of 2.4%. So I think we're going to see a bigger, more sustained push in inflation. That's going to raise questions about the Fed getting behind the curve. I think Treasury yields are going to go and make new highs above their March 30 high. And I think that's where the market could at least have a selling squall take place. 
What about the uh, reopening stocks? By that, I mean, uh, well, what I should say, I guess, is some yep. of the stocks that have been waiting for the reopening, some of the travel <laughs> stocks. I mean, are those poised to continue taking off? I think if I'm right about rates ticking higher, uh, Cisco, I think uh, sometime in the third quarter, the market's going to be vulnerable to a 7 to 10% correction as the reopening trade takes a step back. Because a lot of those stocks have already made tremendous moves. I think the transports were up 14 weeks in a row, the most ever since going to I think 1898 or something like that. So I think if I'm right about Treasury yields ticking up with the tenure getting close to 2% and maybe exceeding it briefly, uh, I think this, you know, the uh, cyclical stocks will take a, uh, you know, a step backward, and higher rates, I think, will pressure anew uh, the mega cap stocks. So I think we have a little more strength in the very short term, but I think the third quarter could be problematic for the market if I'm right about rates climbing uh, after, you know, mid-July. So in general, uh, how are you feeling as far as investors go? What are you advising them? Uh, a little defensive? Maybe yeah. just, you know, yeah. you know, what do you think? I, I, yeah, I think so. If yeah. I'm right and we see a pullback of 7 to 10 percent, uh, as everybody is the world effectively adjusts to, OK, we got higher rates. The Fed may be raising rates. And then I think they're going to realize, hey, the Fed's going to stick to its gun. I just think we have this window where investors anticipate that the Fed will do more. And I think the Fed is really going to hold the line. They are going to start tapering. They will announce that in the third quarter. That could be another thing that causes the market to correct. So I would tell investors, you know, hold pat. And if you've got some big gains and some things, you might want to take some money off the table so you've got some cash available if I'm right about a pullback in the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to, uh, I, I guess, being cautious, don't take everything out of equities, but just oh, kind gosh, of be no. wary. Yeah, We're talking about trimming. I mean, you know, again, I think um, I don't see anything that suggests that the market is ready for a bear market type of decline. I think next year could be you know, a different story. But my expectation, Cisco, is we get a little more strength, then we get a pullback, and then I think there'll be another rally going into the end of the year uh, that will probably take the S&P to a higher high. So it's just a question of trying to be a little tactical in the short term. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks so much, Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios. You can find him online at macrotides.com. Up next, Travel Tuesday, we'll look at new post-pandemic guides for your next trip to Europe, how to make it a success. Cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday on the Noon Business Hour. If you're thinking about a European vacation this year, there's key evidence to help you determine where and when you can go and what you need to know. Joining us on the McGrath-Lexis Business Line, Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services, Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul. Uh, Joe, I guess we need to understand, Europe is reopening? Is it sort of all of Europe? Is it kind of country by country? Yeah, you've got captured the uh, complexity here. It's been called a tangle uh, of regulations, and it's finally we're getting some clarity on what's going to happen. And it's mostly good news, uh, but in classic European fashion, it's uh, it's a bit uh, fragmented. But uh, you know, to make a long story short, a couple countries have already Greece and Italy allowed travelers to come in with a vaccine. Sometimes you need a vaccine both on departure and on arrival. And before you come back uh, in the U.S., which requires it. And so that's freed some things up. But the European Union has been a little slow to un unveil sort of a comprehensive policy. And uh, uh, that's going to come in a few weeks. And the U.S. may join something called the white list, which will give, uh, you know, expedited uh, uh, opportunities to travel. 
And we hope that happens uh, in the next few weeks. So as people go to Europe, when they do find a spot that they want to go, what do they need to know as far as COVID goes? What, what do they need to know before they head over there? Yeah, well, right now, uh, they're not, you're not allowed to travel around Europe, but you can travel to a number of countries, uh, particularly along the Mediterranean. And uh, that's freed some things up. But uh, the exciting part for a lot of the airlines, and United has commented on this, the United Kingdom is no longer part of the European Union, and they may go first. And we may get an announcement in the next two weeks allowing some things to happen uh, in the United Kingdom. Could be they accept uh, evidence of vaccinations. Could be they, they greatly simplify uh, how you can get tested when you arrive. And if Europe, the U.K. goes first and Europe follows, why well, we could see that groundswell you know, starting in July when people really start getting their credit cards out and, and heading over to Europe. I guess we'd have to wait and see, but if you get all the way over there and you take a COVID test and it's a, it's a positive test, you, you might be kind of stuck. <laughs> that's that's a scenario that people want to avoid is spending two weeks in a hotel room or whatever. And uh, But I do think that uh, you know enough people are vaccinated that you can go over with some assurances about that. And what's encouraging in Europe is they're creating a, a little bit different strategy than what we're doing. They're creating... Uh, something akin to a, a vaccine passport for their own travelers, uh, you call it the digital COVID certificate. And so we're going to start to see Europe open up internally. And once that happens, you know, people traveling to Europe from the U.S., if we join this preferred list of countries that you know have more freedoms, that ability to travel within Europe may grow too. And that's what's really exciting for a lot of people. You touched on this. I mean, when it comes to uh, someone who's had a vaccine and wants to go to Europe, uh, you know, no, no real uniform way for them to prove it, I guess, other than bring, bringing the card that they got when they got the shot. Yeah, that's really a, a, a tricky part of the landscape. We as a country have more or less decided not to go to this vaccine uh, passport method. And by doing that, uh, all these other complexities enter the scene. I do think, though, we're maybe a few months away where if you, uh, uh, you know, airlines are coming up with new methods to demonstrate you're vac- vaccinated. Uh, of course, these rapid tests are no big deal, so they're going to become more pervasive. So I think that was good news for Europe, but we were hoping we'd be there now, but we may be uh, still a few weeks away from, from having all the details. Thanks so much, Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services, Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul. That's Travel Tuesday. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. Still to come, Major League Baseball getting into NFTs. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Major League Baseball's getting into non-fungible tokens. First at bat, digital collectibles featuring baseball icon Lou Gehrig, our guest Shelley Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group in New York, author of the new book, An Executive Guide to the World of Decentralized Finance. Shelley, always good to have your insight here. So before we talk about what MLB is doing, very, very quickly, kind of what, what are NFTs for people who are still new to them? Oh, yeah. NFTs are exactly the opposite of cryptocurrency, where cryptocurrency is fungible, meaning one Bitcoin is the same as another Bitcoin, no matter who owns them. An NFT is a unique piece of digital content. Like you have a house and I have a house. They're both houses, but they're certainly not necessarily swappable without some other things going on. So fungible versus non-fungible and non-fungible tokens are unique digital representations. And that's what they're going to be selling, uh, basically a GIF file or GIF, depending on who you ask of Lou Gehrig and his luckiest man speech that was uh, done in July of 1939. 
Because, you know, look, everybody's doing NFTs right now, and everyone's trying to get everybody into the idea that it's a good idea. And is it? The market's going to vote with their wallets as they always do, Cisco. Yeah, they're going to decide whether they want it or not. Uh, it seems like Major League Baseball would have all sorts of stuff that they could sell this way. Absolutely. Look, there's a couple of things about NFTs that make them uniquely awesome for this. Number one is that if you had the Lou Gehrig baseball card, like the paper one from, you know, 1939, um, and you sold it right now, neither the state of Lou Gehrig nor Major League Baseball or anybody would have any participation in that. It would just be between you and the auction house or you and the seller. With an NFT, because it's written on a blockchain, and all NFTs are smart contracts, which means they're just like regular contracts, but they have digital conditions that can be met. So in this case, it's if somebody bids up the amount of money, let's say they're going to pay a dollar for it, and the smart contract says, well, Cisco gets 10 cents out of that dollar and Shelly gets 5 cents out of that dollar and the rest goes to the owner of the you know, NFT and now the new owner is going to have it. Then everybody gets paid in cryptocurrency. So it's an automatic contract and there's a secondary market and then a tertiary market. So it's kind of good. The other thing is that an NFT, because the, the pedigree of this NFT is written on a blockchain, that representation is immutable. Like it, that's going to just be the representation of it. So you know you're getting the authentic one if if it's on a you know ten years on a blockchain. If actually after four weeks on a blockchain, it's mathematically impossible for someone to change it. So you know there's some there's some good stuff about knowing that it's authentic, so it's not counterfeit, and then the all the parties can participate. So there's a lot there. It, you know I I don't like to hawk my own stuff, but I, I, this question comes up so often. I wrote a book called Blockchain, NFTs, Cryptocurrency, and Smart Contracts, An Executive Guide to the World of Decentralized Finance. It's a number one bestseller on Amazon, right? It's $2.99, so it's not that expensive. <laughs> but, and I'm donating the proceeds to the girls who code. Um, but that, that's a good place to start to get the answers to this stuff. And uh, look, when you, you, know, you talk about the stock market's up, the stock market's down. Bitcoin's down 1.71% today, and uh, right this minute, Ethereum is down, Ether is down 1.63%. I mean, that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, for quite a while now, uh, for sure. Good insight. Thanks so much, Shelly Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.